I need my master volume higher than everybody else's. Three, two. Chris needs to comb his hair. I think he looks good. I think he looks like kind of. He looks like Ben Affleck. He looks very manly right now. Yeah, he looks like Ben Affleck right now. I'm into this. Yeah. Hey. George Clooney-ish. You know, I've been told I look like George Clooney before. It was a long time ago. Welcome to On the Bench. It's been a while. Josh, hello. Hello. I don't know what the face you were making was. I wish I could describe it to our listeners. Uh, it was, I'm ready to pod, Brandon. It was pouty, pouty potty face. Christopher, what's up? Not much. Let's get into it. We have a full episode for you guys. We got recruiting stuff. We got FSU football team stuff. We got basketball talk to Christopher to get into as well. So a full docket here for you today. Not going to waste any more time. I'm going to get right into it. The big news, the big talking point that I want us to get into, fellas, is that quarterback Nico Marchiol visited Florida State along with some uh, – he was doing a, a tour, I guess. He was also at Florida earlier in the week, but he's ch- checked out a couple of campuses. This is a big target for FSU at quarterback in the 2022 class, someone the staff has been in on on a while. And uh, it seems like his recruitment's kind of – kind of reaching its its apex here. It's starting to kind of wind down a little bit. So, Josh, I'm going to throw this to you first. What are we hearing on, on Nico Marchiol, the visit? Uh, anything right now? I know he's been hard to get a hold of. Yeah, this was a uh, important visit, like you said. Nico's a guy that the staff zeroed in on early. He was one of, I believe, two or three quarterbacks that FSU offered nearly as soon as Mike Norvell walked on campus for the 2022 class. Um Really, since March, Nico and Florida State offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham have struck up a very solid relationship. And um, Nico tentatively had plans to visit FSU last spring, but of course, those got canceled. He never made it back, uh, or I'm sorry, he never made it to Tallahassee. But over the weekend, him and his family made it down to Florida. As you said, they they made it to uh, Gainesville. I believe on Wednesday of last week, things are a little murky. I've been moving, but he was in Gainesville on Wednesday. He made it to Tallahassee on Thursday afternoon. He really was able to view Florida State's campus on Friday. Of course, these visits are not only are they unofficial, but this is a dead period. So there's no face-to-face contact, meaning the staff or anybody associated with FSU coaching or recruiting cannot have any contact with Nico or his family while they're on campus. It's crazy, I know, but this is just the way that things are going these days. Um, so Nico did his own thing. He posted some photos. Um, where, where did he go, Chris? We saw him at Madison Social. Uh, yeah, sure he ate at Madison him. Social. Uh, looked like he got inside the stadium with his mother, at least, and took a photo in there. Um, Sod Cemetery was another photo I recall seeing from him. Also, one of the walkways around campus, not 100% sure which part of campus that walkway was at, but somewhere near campus, a canopy road type of walkway, which is something Tallahassee someone known for. So what the staff can do, I mean, there's very little they can do to personalize these visits. But before the family gets on campus, they can tell them like, hey, you know, the stadium might be unlocked. If you go to the stadium at this gate, it may be there. You could maybe get on the field. Who knows? Uh, right across is the Sod Cemetery. I think you should walk by there. 
uh, after you guys tour and go look at the business school or whatever you know school he's looking to, uh, stop by Madison Social. They that's the best food and te- you know they can kind of map out their their visit for them, but for the most part, it's it's uh, the recruit and his family are one hundred percent in charge. So yeah, um, I, had, I had a coach not affiliated with FSU, but at an odd school, tell me that right now you paint a picture for a kid and you let them come and fill in the spaces they didn't figure out when you were painting. That's how you're kind of doing these visits. Right. Um, we haven't been able to get a hold of Nico just yet. Not really sure what his timetable is for a decision, but I've talked to a couple sources. Uh, they feel that something could come here in the next, you know, maybe conservatively in the next four to six weeks. I think that would be a, a, a good timetable for Marky all to, to make a decision here. Um, but he hasn't come out outside of his top four. He has not come out and put a, a timeline on his decision just yet. Yeah, he's ranked number 220 overall. He's number nine pro style quarterback. That's according according to the composite rankings. He's a six foot two, 216 pound slinger. He's a good athlete, but he's listed as a pro style quarterback, but he's capable with his feet as well. How many quarterbacks are they taking in the 2022 class? Do we think one, two? Definitely one, but I think two is not outside the question. I think it depends somewhat on how that room where it currently stands, how it shakes out. Mm-hmm. Presuming both of the guys that came in last year remain here, Jordan remains here, you add another one. I don't know that you definitively take two, but they've offered about 13 kids at the position, so I think they're certainly casting a bit of a wide net, at least making sure that they have options if they need to go that direction. Yeah. I Your boy here currently has Nico Marchio crystal ball to Florida State. I was actually the first – person to do so on 615. So it's been quite a while <laughs> that I've had him. I've had him crystal ball. And I wouldn't change that at this point. Um, I still think out of all the quarterbacks FSU's offered right now, Nico is probably the most likely to commit to Florida State. Of course, um, a lot of that is going to depend not only on his timeline, but some of these other QBs that FSU is recruiting. Um, I posted on Knowles 24-7, I think it was on Friday or Saturday, that right now it seems like the next 2022 QB that could be visiting FSU is going to be MJ Morris. Um, MJ Morris is another quarterback, just like Nico, that the FSU staff identified as soon as they they walked on. He was one of those um, handful of 2022 QB offers that went out. He's out of the Atlanta, Georgia area. And I was told that there's a good chance that MJ Morris is going to visit FSU this weekend. Now we've heard that before. Um, and as with all unofficial visits, nothing's set in stone because you can't purchase plane tickets for him or anything like that. So it's just kind of on the family. But I am told that MJ Morris could be in Tallahassee as soon as this coming weekend. That would be very telling because talking to my sources about FSU's 2022 QB recruiting and the wide you know net that they've cast, I kind of I asked, you know, what is up with all these offers and, and, and who are the top guys? And the message that I was told was the staff loves all these quarterbacks. If they offered them, they are sold that they can come to Florida State and help this program. What they're doing, though, is waiting to see if the interest is reciprocal. They want to see of these guys that we, we feel can play here. We're going to offer all of them. We're going to see who's going to come visit us, who's going to show us reciprocal interest, um, we're going to lay all our cards out on the table and say that, you know, we want these guys. So it's vitally important to pay attention who's coming to campus. And um, 
right now, you know, Nico is on campus this weekend. If MJ Morris comes to campus next weekend, I think that's a really big move for Florida State uh, QB recruiting in this class. It's just kind of wait and see because, you know, we're at the mercy of, of the dead period. There's not a lot that the FSU staff can do besides just invite them to campus and let them know that they want them to come. Morris is listed as a dual threat kid, definitely lives up to that title. He's ranked number 73 overall and number four at the position for dual threat, according to the composite. I'd heard late last year, November, December timeline, that Georgia Tech had done a really good job there. Obviously, hometown kid, it mean a lot. They're always making a push to keep ATL kids home. And that Stanford was one that when he got that offer, he's been very intrigued by that offer. He's an academically sharp kid. He goes to Pace Academy which is the same school that produced FSU basketball commitment, Matthew Cleveland. Um, Very good school, excellent athletic school, but also an academically strong school. Produces really good student athletes. Mm -hmm. To Josh's point about quarterback offers, they've offered 13 total kids. Some of those offers preceded the current staff. You know, a kid like Chad Masco, for example. There's a couple others. We've seen them offer about a half dozen kids here in the last couple months. Uh, Taven Jackson from Indiana was the most recent He's the little brother of Trace Jackson Davis, basketball player for Indiana, has played really well against FSU the last two years, for those that recall those games. Taven's a he's listed as a pro style kid. He's 6'5, 185. He's a pretty good athlete, too, in his own right. Big arm, big time Indiana kid from a very good high school over there in Center Grove. FSU offer also offered one of his teammates a defensive tackle at the same time that they offered Taven. Some other recent offers were Tanner Bailey from Alabama. He visited. Yeah. Cade Klubnick from Texas that Josh caught up with, who has mentioned an interest in visiting. Sam Horn. He he picked up A&M over the the weekend. Yeah, he's got multiple familial ties to A&M. Is that correct? I think mom and dad both. Yeah. Yeah, let me put a little comment. So Tanner Bailey out of Alabama, Gordo, Alabama, big time arm, um, six foot one, 195 pound pro style. He visited FSU. Granted, I don't know if this discounts it, but he was on a family vacation to Disney and they stopped in Tallahassee on the way, but he didn't stop at any other Florida school. So I think that's a, that's a decent sign for FSU. Um, Cade Klubnick to me, I think he's my personal favorite on the list of QB offers that Florida state has put out. He plays for Westlake high school in Texas Um, He won a state championship, put up ridiculous numbers, has offers from a ton of teams, but picked up Texas A&M over the weekend. And I think that could do it for him. Um, A.J. Duffy, he's out of California, but he's transferring to IMG. That'll get interesting because Kenny Dillingham is the primary recruiter at IMG and um, they got a relationship. And then talk about Sam Horn a little bit. He's kind of a message board favorite, would you say? Yeah, to add to Duffy, he's been to FSU. He visited with Jack Peterson, tight end, who's also transferring to IMG from California. So Duffy has some familiarity Mm -hmm. with FSU. Sam Horn is teammates. He's from Collins Hill, Suwannee, Georgia, Collins Hill High School. He is teammates with a five-star commitment, Travis Hunter. He is Travis Hunter's quarterback. Travis Hunter plays both ways for Collins Hill. Obviously racked up a lot of touchdowns on the season. Sam's a 6'4", 190 pro-style quarterback, pocket passer, they played for a state championship. He helped lead them there. Um, it was a state championship, right? Not semifinals that they went to. Correct. No, they yeah. got very deep in the playoffs. I think it was a state championship. Yeah, they lost, they lost the state championship. He didn't play particularly well in that last game. 
So people, of course, saw that on TV and made all their judgments based off that one game. He had a monster season. You can plug in the stats. You can look at the highlights of mm-hmm. his entire season. Sam conditioned around the field. I think there's a few guys they've offered, Cade being one that I'd agree with, both of the kids we talked about early on, Nico, and especially MJ, that I would definitely take before Sam. But Sam's certainly a capable quarterback. Let's take a nope. step back real quick and look at yeah. Nico if we can. Mm-hmm. Um, the the schools that he's mentioned as his top four was Florida State and Florida, which we talked about him him visiting. Arizona State is another school that he's familiar with, and obviously that, that geographically makes sense. And then Rutgers is the fourth one. So it's an interesting Outlier. smattering of his of his finals, right? Yeah, and he had put out a top, I don't know, six, six. eight, ten, something beforehand, and a couple of those schools weren't even part of it. So he has shown the ability to pivot and switch in his okay. recruitment. But I think the fact that he took the visits to the two Sunshine State schools kind of speaks to those are going to be ones that will be in it till the end. And we and believe that really- those are both – both those schools, Florida and Florida State, would take Nico. Correct? Those are he's a, he's a take for both programs. I think he. I can confirm he is for FSU mm-hmm. today. You know, timeline. I can't say how long he would he would remain a take for FSU. Uh, for UF, I did some dig and talked to Blake Alderman and some other people. It doesn't sound like he's the top quarterback on their board. Almost similar to FSU, it sounds like they're really all in on Jacuri. Is it Jacuri Brown? Yeah, um, South Georgia. Mm-hmm. It sounds like he is by far and away their top target, but they did offer Nico and nobody really knows. Like if he were to commit to UF in the next week or two, would you know, they there's Blake thinks that they would take his commitment, but it's just not sure. He's kind of one of these guys. I don't think Nico has the timeline that maybe a Cade Klubnik has or some of these other quarterbacks. I think if Nico wants to punch his own ticket to wherever he wants to go to school, then he's going to have to make a decision here probably in the next two to three weeks would be my guess. We've seen in quarterback recruiting, and the timeline has moved up some. It used to be summertime. Now it's almost the spring before their, their senior year. Uh, but there's that domino effect. We've talked about that in mm-hmm. the past, right? When one quarterback pops, all of a sudden everyone starts gathering their spots. It's like musical chairs pretty much. I, I did have this working theory back when FSU extended what like the, the batch of three or four quarterback offers in 2022, about a month ago, that FSU was almost using that as one, because they are interested in expanding the board. They don't want to be caught in the same place they were this past year with Luke Altmeyer. But mm-hmm. two, I think a way to kind of expedite maybe the process for, for Nico a little bit, because he's been someone they've been in on a little bit and say like, hey, we're, we're expanding our board here. Let's try to move things along if you are interested in us. I don't know that for a fact. That's just more a theory on, on how quarterback recruiting can work. A couple final points on quarterback recruiting. 13 offered. None of the 13 have committed yet in the sense of being currently committed. Some have previous commitments. Um, Braden Davis is another one that was a recent FSU offer. He's a dual threat kid. He spent some time at Lake Vineola down in Central Florida last year. He won't be there next season. He has ties to Delaware. I've heard IMG thrown around, but obviously Duffy landed there, so I don't think he'll land there. I'm not 100% sure where he's going to play ball next year. He's a dual-threat kid, another pretty academically strong kid, so he's one to keep an eye on. Um, That's about it. I I think that it still is the first two is kind of where FSU's at, but I think they obviously cast a wide net to make sure that they get a very quality quarterback in that class, if not two. When it comes to – taking two quarterbacks. Um, I think the transfer portal has forever changed two quarterback recruiting classes and the way that these coaches are going to approach it. 
Um, I don't think like say FSU lands Nico Markiel in the next four weeks or something. If they plan on taking two, I don't think they're going after Nico and one of the guys we mentioned. Um, I think all the, 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 these top arms that we talked about will be off the board. And I think if you're going to take two now, you take that second QB scholarship well into the fall because you not only need to see who emerges in these pandemic times with no camps and all this, no spring football and stuff like that, but also the transfer portal. Um, you don't know how your roster is going to shake out. It might be more advantageous for FSU to take a veteran arm later on in the, in the, with their second scholarship than another high school arm. You know, you don't know what's going to happen with Jordan Travis or the current roster and Mackenzie Milton's likely to move on. If when we talk about FSU taking two in this class, I just want to set the precedent. I don't really expect it to be Nico and a guy like MJ Morris or Sam Horn. I think it's going to be Nico and then somebody way down the road, you know, or, or I shouldn't say Nico, but that first QB and then somebody else way down the road. The one concern with the transfer portal to your point is that sometimes taking a guy via the portal, especially a guy who may have two, three years of eligibility remaining, that will cause a guy currently on your roster to decide, well, hell, I'm going in the portal because they don't believe in me. They're taking this guy. Obviously, coaches are paid a lot of money to kind of handle those situations, mm -hmm. try to make sure those rooms are in check and everything is explained thoroughly and try to keep everybody on the same page. But we know the reality of the situation is that sometimes when one is brought in, it forces another one out. Yeah, but sometimes we've also seen, you know, somebody gets named starter in September in the two backups leave. And now all of a sudden yeah. your two your two guys that were on the roster are gone. You don't want to bring in two freshmen with them. You might bring in one freshman and one veteran. So all yeah. I'm saying is because of the transfer portal, guys leaving and coming, um, I don't think two QB recruiting classes are going to be solved in the spring. Like I think that second scholarship is going to be held for a very long time. Maybe more than any other position, quarterback is a position where you almost constantly have to recruit or at least have names on the board because of the fact mm -hmm. that it can so quickly go from being a strength of a squad to, man, we're one injury away from playing a guy we don't have any interest in playing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Which has been a Florida State's quarterback situation uh, more or less the last post-Jameis. J.J. Cosentino in the uh, – the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Remember mm. that? Oh, boy, do I. Mm. Mm. Hey, real quick, before we transition, I want to get into some transfer portal talk, and, and Josh has some good scoop there. Letting our listeners know, if you know someone who knows has a business in Tallahassee or looking for advertising, uh, where to put their revenue and into uh, to do a little bit more advertising, expand their business, On the Bench is open for business. So uh, they can slide into my DMs. If you know someone who has interest in, in doing advertising on the podcast here, the wildly popular on the bench podcast, uh, Josh, are your DMs yes, open? Yes, and we can move product, whatever it is. I mean, we can sell insurance, we can sell finances, whatever it is, liquor. I feel like jo Josh saying we can move product is probably not great. Chris, do you want any part of this? Can they reach out to you? No, I think Josh said enough for the all of us. <laughs> DEA soon come. Oh, we should have the DEA advertise on it. All right, Josh, move on to uh, the portal updates. Let's go. Two offensive tackles entered. So, of course, you know, big deal, right? Big deal for Florida State? Maybe, maybe not. Hey, I mean, apparently it was a big deal on our message board. Like I said, I closed on my house on Wednesday, moved in on Friday, unloading boxes all weekend. But apparently 
A couple guys hit the portal. You really notified me of it and said that I needed to look into these guys. Um, so the first one was Jameer Johnson. I think I spoke to, I think he hit the portal on, on Thursday and I spoke to him on Friday, something like that. And um, he was in for 24 hours. He said it was really hectic. He was talking to a bunch of teams, including Penn State, uh, USC, Florida State. Um, it was funny as I talked to him, I said, have you, oh, you've been in contact with Florida State? He said, yeah. I said, have you talked to Coach Atkins yet? And he goes, no, I haven't talked to him. He's, he's texting my phone right now and he's, he's trying to set up a phone call with me tonight. So I'm going to, I'm going to talk to him tonight. And um, he, much like every offensive lineman that I talk to that's in the portal, they feel very overwhelmed. <laughs> and uh, Jameer Johnson said his phone just was nonstop ringing, you know, ever since he, he announced he's leaving Tennessee. Um, I followed up with Jameer on Jameer on Sunday and I was told that Florida State was in contact. Um, they reached out, but they are not going to pursue Jameer Johnson, um, much like we've seen with nearly every portal prospect in the in you know that hits the market. Florida State will make contact. Um, they'll reach out, and what they're doing is they're just trying to find out you know what's this person's situation. How many years do they have? Um, why are they leaving? When do they plan on making a decision? What are they looking for? And FSU is just doing their due diligence on every single one of these guys because you just never know. Um, Jameer, I'm told Jameer Johnson's not a fit for Florida State for whatever reason, whether it's talent, on-field, off-field, I don't know. Didn't get too much information. All I want to know is do I need to keep covering this kid? And I was essentially told no. Um, and the same can go with – now, who was the second name you brought to me? Willie He's Tyler from Texas. And I think he was, uh, he was a pretty highly rated Juco player before he went to Texas. Yeah. And I think there's some connection maybe through Thompson or something through prior recruitment, but um, I was told, no, no, okay. FSU is not going to pursue him. So um, I also confirmed that Florida state is not active with any current offensive lineman in the portal. Uh, just to, just to cross it off the list. Um, right now there's nobody in the portal that FSU is pursuing. And I don't think it really speaks to FSU as much as it does just the, uh, while there's a ton of quantity in the portal, there's not a, a lot of quality in the portal. Well, so I'm going to ask this question on behalf of the FSU fan base. Cause I, I think this is something that we're going to hear a lot of. You look at Jameer Johnson, you look at his resume, he's a two and a half, three year starter at Tennessee. Obviously they've had some offensive line issues, but his metrics are decent from when he was at left guard and at left tackle this past year, not as great because he had injury issues. So what FSU fans are going to say is uh, what is FSU waiting for to come out in the market at offensive tackle? If a decent sec caliber player isn't of interest to us. I got to assume that they're waiting to find something that's better than what they feel that they have on the roster. Um, I think that, you know, everybody's in the portal for a reason. Some of these guys are, have been an issue with their, with their team. I'm not going to, you know, name names, but you know, there's been some, it, it just doesn't come just squarely on talent. Let's just say, um, if you think about the guys that have left Florida state, um, of course they've transferred on and gone elsewhere, but and any Florida State fan has a story to tell about them on why they were a bad fit here, you know? So 
the same can go for all these all these players hitting the portal. You don't see really outside of maybe like a Wanye Morris, a real bona fide blue chip, you know, former blue chip recruit that started games in the SEC that's that's transferring elsewhere. A lot of the the players that you see are either lower level or even backups just putting their name in the portal. The truth is the offensive tackle may never come along. That is a uh, a hard truth to swallow right now, but it is a truth. I think obviously they hope he does, and they're going to do their due diligence to find one if it does come. But I think fans need to understand it may not come. Mm -hmm. I I do think some people are waiting for, like think that there's a someone on the line that FSU is just waiting to to play on. I don't think that's – There are a lot of people that believe that. Yeah, There's a – there's always kids that flirt with the possibility of leaving. And I'm sure there is someone of that caliber that yes, fills the need and the desire, but also a person of that caliber is going to have a lot of options and FSU isn't going to be probably the best one necessarily, but they don't all enter the portal. That's the thing is that there, there's plenty of, we deal with plenty of kids on the current roster at FSU who consider the idea of going in the portal that didn't do it or took three years to do it, you know, examples like that. So, yeah, I, I just hope it comes along, but don't believe it will certainly come along. Yeah, there's no ace up the sleeve. Like there's some fans and, and people that write on, on Knowles 24-7 that talk almost assuming that like it's an if and when FSU gets their guy. You know, it's just a matter of time till he he reveals himself into the portal. That ain't that ain't the truth. Like if that was the truth, I'd tell you because you know the, the people that I talk to within the Moore Center would be a little bit more confident with the prospect of landing an offensive tackle for next year. So th- while they're still while there's no ace up their sleeve, they are still actively pursuing a a, a uh, you know somebody to come in and have an impact at the left tackle position. But like Chris said, the truth is that might not happen. And they're constantly evaluating. They intend to look at these states that are going to play spring football. They're looking at guys who are late emerging guys. Mm-hmm. They're they're building up the board further and further in the hopes of finding the one. But it's clear they're not just going to take one to satisfy the need of taking one. They want somebody who is going to truly help them. And that that is defined by what they can do on the field, how they view them off the field, what they bring to the team dynamic, how they improve the team from a leadership standpoint. All of these things matter. And when the portal kid comes about, if one does come about, for FSU, it's going to happen quickly. They're either going to get them, which we've seen them pull that off multiple times in the portal, or they're going to be out of it quickly and understand they're probably out of it. We did get a question, this is related, from listener and Knowles 24-7 message boarder, Carrie D. Knoll, asking, if we land a quality left tackle transfer, do you think that one specific addition is enough to make a big difference in the win-loss column? I think the answer to that is is yes, right? Like I, I think a surefire starter at left tackle and what it does for the rest of your offensive line and offense is probably good for like one extra win. Yeah, I mean, when you look at FSU and people ask what happened to that program, there's obviously a lot of answers to that question. But I think the one consistent answer over the last half dozen years is that the O-line's been abysmal. It's been garbage. It's been trash. It's been no good. It's had no depth and no talent. It couldn't afford one injury. So, yes, yeah, something that tra- drastically changes a lot of those dynamics, yeah, I think it makes a massive difference. That's why people are always going to keep asking us about left tackles. And, and when someone potentially who fits that role enters the portal, I think that's why the fan base is so hungry for for that to come to fruition, almost like they're, they're willing it to happen. So the, 
The we'll monitor it. About, the truth about left tackles in college is that there's not enough of them to go around the entire college ranks. I remember Alex Atkins when he was on the podcast, I guess a year ago or so at this point, and asked about the way people view offensive linemen and, and why it's so difficult to develop at that position and find those guys. His point was you just don't see a whole lot of six foot six, 300 pound human beings walking around this planet. And then to find ones who are athletic enough to do what, what they need to do to play college football. It's a very, very small pool that you're pulling from. Someone once told me the NFL has 32 teams, which means 64 left tackles and about 32 of those teams are looking for a second left tackle who's good. And about 16 of the 32 teams are truthfully looking for a left tackle that's good to be a starter. So that kind of speaks to the fact that it's just a position where there are only so many guys that can do the job at a high, high level. Now, FSU can certainly find guys that do it better than they've done it here in recent years. Yeah. And that, yeah. that's a position there. And that's where we're at. Florida State is trying to elevate the floor and get better. For the offensive line, it's to go from what was putrid a couple of years ago to what was below average this year to now you're trying to just be average, serviceable in the Power Five. That's the next step that you're trying to take. And, and a true left tackle allows FSU to move the pieces around to fit more where they should naturally mm-hmm. fit, which is mm-hmm. kind of a big deal. I hope we get to do that podcast one day where we can talk about all the options that, that open up when they get a left tackle, if they get a left tackle. Uh, what that does for other guys. Well, we'll, yeah, we'll see. That's good. That's good for both the short and the long term. For sure. So with that in mind, kind of kind of pivoting a little bit, it's still a recruiting related topic here to get Josh back in. Josh, mm-hmm. we're talking about offensive tackles still. We're talking about that still being a possibility for FSU. People are going to start wondering, well, are the numbers? Are they, well, are they it's gonna, still a priority make, for FSU. So, so it is a priority. So it is something that, that we believe if there were to be a talented player, they would have room for. So that goes back to your theory. I've heard this once or twice from you. The numbers always work out. So let's talk about scholarships and, and allotment and distribution. Oh, you and sucked me back in. I did. Just talk. thought you were out, I pulled you back in. You know, I love to talk numbers. Um, yeah. Look. The way I view it is there's there's two sides to this numbers conundrum, and both can be true. There's the analytic side, which you're on, and you do you and Chris do a great job of breaking down the spots that are available with what's on the roster, and you guys mix it in with the NCAA rules. You track the numbers under a magnifying glass to a T. You know it all makes sense. But then there's then there's another side of it. And that's kind of the side that I operate on. And that's the intel that I get from my sources within the Moore Center. When I talk to them, they're still recruiting guys. It would seem that based on your calculations that we don't have room for, but they're still recruiting them. So personally, I'm not a numbers guy. I prefer to go by feel. And the feeling that I get is that the staff, they're not really recruiting for a final spot or two. To me, you know, when I talk, when I talk to my, it feels like they have like a broader scope than, than that they're just dialed into these final two spots or so. Um, and I'm not saying I, it's conflicting information. Like none of this is new to me. Uh, Jimbo and their staff recruited the same exact way. I'm used to the staff saying numbers are one thing, but the actions and the way that they recruit tell me a different story. And I just say the numbers always work out. And everybody was fine. I'm not going to go on that rant again. I'll save you that rant. <laughs> but, you know, regardless of the numbers or what we think the numbers are, 
my job is to cover guys that FSU recruits and Mike Norvell and the staff are recruiting a, a you know, a half dozen guys right now for, for, for maybe a final spot or two. So you guys keep calculating the numbers, but in the meantime, I'm just going to cover whoever the staff's recruiting. How about that? That's a great intro to the fact that we're 10 days away from signing day, which obviously with transfer portal and such isn't really the end of it all, but it is a penultimate event for it all. Mm -hmm. I think FSU adds one that day. I think Destin Hill is the addition. I don't Mm -hmm. know where Tywin Malone is going at this point. I think it will be FSU, A&M, or Ole Miss. Um, if I was a betting man, I'd probably lay a little money on Old Miss, but I might also lose that money as things stand right now. Are we going to be excited if they get Destin Hill on signing day? Like, Absolutely. Or is it going to be anticlimactic at that point? Well, I mean, I'm just glad you're going to be able to hit publish on a story you wrote 10 months ago. I wrote one in March. I think Brendan – or no, I wrote another in July pre-write because remember he made that unofficial visit to campus in July. We thought he was going to pop after that. This will be my third Destin Hill shell story for his commitment. Are you just writing new ones? I have been because I couldn't. They're so far back in the admin. I didn't even go look for them. Yeah, mine's from his junior film. Uh, (laughs) I'm assuming he he improved and that he had good senior tape. Actually, I know he did. His senior highlights are really good. Uh, Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. on. Josh with the numbers. Hey, God, what I heard from you with the numbers was that FSU has room for 30. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) No, everyone, disclaimer, not what I'm saying. But to Chris, hold on. To Chris's point about signing day coming in, it feels, you know, it feels like it's, it's months away, but it is months away because this 2021 class, let's be honest, they're going to be active in the transfer portal all the way to August. Yeah. Yeah, and there's going to be kids that emerge in the spring mm-hmm. for 21. There, yeah, there's going to be spring football in Virginia. There's going to be spring football in California, potentially. You don't think that there's a six foot seven, six foot eight, 285 pound former basketball player that's converting to football that's just waiting to be found in one of those two states? It's Plus possible. Some, some Juco kids are going to come out of the woodwork, too, probably. So, um, to Josh's point, I think the staff recruits as though they're recruiting to add talent. They're not. At this point, they're not recruiting to add a receiver, add a DT, or add an OT. Obviously, those are needs and things they would like to address, but they are recruiting to add talent to make their football team better. So if there's a guy out there, say uh, all SEC running back, for example, a kid who is a bona fide stud, a dude that you know will help you win football games, a scoreboard lighter to steal a Jimbo Fisherism, you go after it because it's going to help you as a football team. Yes, you're going to be shorthanded at left tackle possibly because you take this kid. But I think that's how this staff views recruiting, especially in this cycle where it's sort of a free-for-all with a lot of kids looking to make that instantaneous move. So I, I think that speaks to why you're hearing Josh say that they are still looking at five, six kids and they're not necessarily the Destin Hill, Tywon Malone, mythical offensive tackle that we've talked about. It could be a night kid. Very intriguing. It's a good time to take a commercial break, and then we're going to transition over to a little bit of hoops talk and then some FSU football talk, and then we'll wrap things up. So stick with us. We'll be back after the break. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. 
Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back to On the Bench. Christopher, the platform is yours. What was your headline for FSU's uh, The Hoops Win Over Clemson? Was it Eviscerate? What did you yes. use? Yes, <laughs> disemboweled those Tigers. Disemboweled, um, oh my God. Does this nine, hey, does disemboweled mean like the stomach area or does it just mean yeah, you like a broke skin? I believe so. Okay, all right. I mean, I'm not one to maliciously kill animals. It's not really my thing. I do eat meat. God, I love meat, but I don't, you know, I don't do the work to get there. Um, FSU is nine and two now, five and one in conference or second in the ACC behind Virginia. It's pretty clear cut at this point that them and Virginia are the cream of the crop in the ACC. Louisville is a team that probably should be in that conversation, but has not looked like a team in that conversation. That includes FSU going to their place this past Monday and just kind of putting it on them. They took it to Louisville. They did what they wanted. Uh, Chris Mack, head coach of Louisville, as well as some Louisville players, essentially used the description of they got punked by FSU. They're not the only ones. Clemson got punked by FSU. They were down 38 points at one point on Saturday afternoon, and FSU sort of did whatever the hell they wanted, despite the fact that Jamie Lucky and his crappy officiating crew wanted to keep sending Clemson to the line and giving them free points. FSU's played four games since coming out at COVID pause, and they've looked like arguably one of the top three, four teams in the country in those four games. They've consistently led by 20 or more points in each of those games. They've hit shots from every part of the floor. They've gotten to the line and hit at a high rate. They've been good around the rack. Balsa Visa has been very good in recent games. Um, he's definitely a guy that is trending up very quickly in the sense of getting on the radar of people that we don't want taking him away from FSU at the next level, but he's getting there. He recorded his first career double-double on Saturday against Clemson. He's been close to getting those 10 boards a couple times. He finally grabbed a 10th one on Saturday. Um, Raekwon Gray, Turk, 11 points in about 11 minutes on Saturday, kind of speaks to his just uh, Turk, Turk is a dude that is focused in on this season. It's unbelievable to watch him, to listen to him, talk about the game of basketball. And you can just tell when a guy is kind of fully tuned in. Tony Douglas's last year here is another basketball example of a guy who just, he was there. Like he knew all he thought about was hoops. He was processing the game in real time. He was making decisions that were smart decisions. The thing I've loved about Raekwon this season is when FSU needs a basket, you know, teams making it run or FSU is just ice cold. He uses that big body and the kind of sneaky athleticism that comes with it that's deceptive to the opponent sometimes or at least a difficult matchup for the opponent. And he gets to the rack and he finishes and he gets a big bucket. And he's been excellent at doing that three or four times when FSU's needed it, especially since they played poorly in that stretch of the UCF Gardner Webb and the first Clemson game where they lost two of those three. And they just didn't look like a normal FSU team. Defense was woeful. Energy was poor. They've gotten so far away from what they were in that short stretch to looking a hell of a lot more like what Leonard Hamilton, Hamilton teams usually look like. Their energy has been unbelievable. Their defense is getting there. It's still not great. There's still some ball penetration issues going on. But in general, help side defense is drastically better. Guys are doing a really good job. A guy like Sardar Calhoun, who had a career-high 13 points against Clemson, 
he is coming into his own. He still struggles in the team concept of defense with regards to switches and things of that sort. I think that will come with more time. But when he's just on a man with the ball, he can play some D. He can play man D. It's just in the team concept he has work to do. But he is getting there. I think this is a description of the lack of an exhibition season, a lack of an October-November that was a normal college basketball season. It is causing some of this learning in, in real time in January in ACC play. But, man, they look good. MJ Walker got a little banged up, caught an elbow from Tenor and Gome in the Clemson game, knocked him pretty woozy, sent him to the locker room. He did a TV appearance yesterday. That's probably a pretty good sign that he's feeling okay. Anthony Polite dealing with a bit of a shoulder issue. He's missed since the UNC game, two games. He's probably going to miss at least a Miami game, if not a couple more, before he comes back. Leonard Hamilton calls himself a mother hen in that sense. I think that's very true. He's never in a rush to get a guy back who's a little banged up. He'd much rather get him healthy and have him for the stretch run in March. But FSU's got Miami at home midweek, Georgia Tech, and then they got Wake and VT coming up. The big game on the calendar, if you're circling one, is probably around mid-February. They host Virginia. I think it's February 16th, that Monday night, if I remember correctly. That's the game. That's the ACC game to keep an eye on right now. But they're playing really, really good ball. They look like what an FSU team should look like. The depth is really starting to emerge and show. Malik Osborne's come back to life and been that dude. And when he plays at a good level his energy is just through the roof and that team feeds off of it and it's really fun to watch he had a block on saturday that was just fantastic kind of set the tone for them defensively to some degree yeah pieces are coming together a guy like Ingum's getting a little better on the interior which is helping to relieve ball show when he needs to hit the bench you know we've talked about turk mj's been very consistent throughout the year polite when healthy is a big time defender for them you're, you're starting to see the clear defined roles and the rotations that are working and I think one big step for them as they work towards the NCAA tournament and ACC tournament, if that still goes down as usual, is figuring out what rotation do they turn to in those final four minutes of a tight game that's going to win the game. Who's going to shut them down defensively? Who's going to make shots? You know Turk, you know MJ, you know Polite are probably definitely parts of that. I think Balsha has become part of that, especially against bigger teams. But they're still figuring out that rotation as a whole. And then it's them playing together and getting a rhythm in the – just a feeling where it becomes so natural on the court, but it's all coming together. And it, it's it's surprising. COVID pauses for some teams have led to really bad, rusty basketball out of it. And for some teams, they've been very sharp and good out of it. FSU's been insanely sharp out of it. And they're going to move back in the AP top 25 this week. And I think they're going to make a drastic move. If I was an AP voter this year, I would have FSU in my top 10 right now, without a shadow of a doubt. Baylor's better. Gonzaga's better. Michigan's pretty damn good. Villanova's pretty good. There's a couple others, but FSU's right there after that bunch that I mentioned. What do you think, Chris, clicked during that the time off with with the break from from the COVID? Well, I, I think more than anything, they realized that that stretch of UCF, Gardner, Webb, Clemson—that's not FSU basketball. That's not what this program has become known for, defined for. The bench wasn't scoring points. The energy was crappy. The defense was poor, and the defense had been poor before those games, but not to the point where teams just took whatever the hell they wanted. And UCF and Clemson very much took whatever whatever the hell they wanted in those two games. I think some of that came about. I think also the ability to get some practices in there leading up to the return. I think for a guy like dark Calhoun, a guy like Ngome, it's the mental and physical conditioning of this level of basketball and what's expected of them and what they have to do. They both have looked drastically better. 
And then Osborne coming to life has been huge. Osborne's such a piece of the puzzle. He's a great dude. I think if you listen to the pod and hear me talk about him, you know that I think extremely highly of him, both on and off the court. But, man, when he brings it defensively and he gives you a few points, hits a couple jumpers because that's something he's effective at, but also brings that energy on the interior, especially on defense, it really changed this whole dynamic of the team. It makes teams a little more fearful of attacking the rim, which you know a couple teams earlier in the year were not scared at all of doing so. And in other ways, it just I think it reinvigorates the team. It gets the bench going. Malik is the biggest cheerleader when he's on the bench, and he's the biggest energy bringer when he's on the court. And that's a great dynamic to have in a single player. And there's a lot of guys on this team who are really good dudes, great teammates, energy guys, but he, to me, defines that for FSU basketball currently more than anybody on the roster. Let's transition to a little bit of FSU football talk. Uh, First update here, not really the news you want to hear, and that is that FSU has had to pause its off-season workouts, its winter conditioning program due to COVID and and some contact tracing. Mm. My understanding is in talking to sources that there's multiple players who tested positive early this past week. By Friday, they had shut things down. That includes the tour of duty drills, so some of the mat drills. Uh, Chris, you got a little bit more information on that. We're able to clarify, I guess, the timeline when they're expected back. Yeah, I was told it would be a brief pause. Um, I wasn't given a specific day, but it didn't sound like it was going to be prolonged. I think they're trying to go with an abundance of caution. I don't think they wanted to turn into something that causes a lengthier pause. So that's why they went ahead and decided against going on Friday. You know, when we talked to Josh Storms. We had him on the podcast, what was it, like two or three weeks ago. It was the first thing he talked about was hope, right? It was having hope that Jeez. he had a full offseason without having these massive, long hiatuses. Uh, so hopefully this is a, a pretty quick one for Florida State because getting so many newcomers on campus, whether it was the transfers or just the the incoming, I think the six or so early enrollees from, from high school level, to get them integrated into the strength and conditioning program, to get them adjusted culturally uh, with FSU academics, all that stuff, really important. You want them all to be together as much as as possible amid a pandemic. So hopefully that's not too long of a break. I think it's just insanely difficult to execute any of that right now without expecting some sort of pause or at least, you know, adjustment to it. It Men's and women's basketball at FSU both have experienced pauses of some sort recently. We see it with football with tour of duty. I know baseball had several guys when they started doing some of the uh, not full team, but individual and preseason work here, they had some guys out contact tracing. It's just, it is what it is right now. It's one of those things where you try to mitigate it as much as possible and handle it as well as you can and get yourself back out there. But it is sort of the thing. Okay. A few other team notes. Let's see. Carlos Becker, no longer on the roster, former blue chipper, Carlos Becker, uh, he's no longer on the roster. Chris, couldn't remember? help yourself, could you? <laughs> That's a Newberg thing. He told me to to not mention names of basically subpar players and headlines uh, for the Facebook. It does better, so that's that's why I blame Josh. And Josh nowhere to defend me when I get yelled at. You're not supposed to tell the behind the scenes business. Oh, never mind. <laughs> but he is a former blue chipper, and if you remember, like Carlos Becker, it was so weird. Like I was thinking about what the lat when he entered the portal. Or not the portal when he got taken off the roster. He's not on. He doesn't seem like he's playing football anymore. Is what it looks like. But when basically did he ever? Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Is is among all the disappointments and all the blue chippers who never came to fruition at Florida State. Carlos Becker is one of the most disappointing because he actually flashed like in game what he could be. Michigan, 
the Michigan, the interception, even the games before then, I think it was late against Syracuse that year, his length and size really mm-hmm. showed up. And then against Boise state in, in 2019. Yeah. yeah you're well. right. We thought, say. we thought he was going to salvage his career. We thought right. like, well, at least I did. I thought coming off of that year, I really did think he was going to become a player for Florida state. You're right. He right. was an excellent high school player. I know mm-hmm. Bud liked him a lot. I liked him a lot. Uh, he just, he played his backside off on the field in high school and, Ohio State really wanted him. Yeah. Yeah. That's who it was up against, yep. FSU and Ohio State. And I think, you know, we you've detailed um, kind of what's going on with him to some degree here. Good for him. I believe he got his degree. You know, I always hope a guy takes advantage of him and gets their degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, injuries kind of derailed him, and he just – he was done. I know there was a point in his career, I don't know if it was two or three years ago, where he was kind of dealing with something. They thought it was sort of a phantom injury, but he wholeheartedly thought he was hurt. And – uh, the former staff and him, I don't think, could get on the same page with regards to that situation. The number one, what, what is it saying? That the number one attribute is availability, and that's just kind yeah. of the the deal with with Carlos. Is he just wasn't readily available for Florida State? Unfortunate, very talented, someone who had NFL upside and actually flashed that at times at the college level. So, with with that in mind, guys, I Josh, you're gonna like this. I went through and I and I dug up some numbers. I I got the calculator out. You know, this is your favorite thing. So since Mike Norvell arrived, Chris likes it too. That's right, Daddy. Here we go. Since FS, since Mike Norvell arrived at FSU last December, uh, he has basically flipped sixty percent of the roster. So in thirteen months, it's like 57 percent right now, and that's going to obviously keep changing as a couple more guys leave or uh, they gain more guys. Like the roster is going to keep flipping to where the, the amount of players is nearly so more than half the roster has been flipped in about a year. I think that's an impressive – I think we absorb that as a good thing, right? I, I think in the long term it's a good thing. Obviously, you're going to take your lumps early. It was something that we thought Willie Taggart was going to do, but when push come to shove, he just wasn't able to to flip the roster like he said he wanted to when he arrived. And part of that was due it been documented, the APR restrictions from Jimbo living the program in shambles. People like to – when they talk about Jimbo like to and how great he was, omit that that – part of the program was just falling inwards and it was awful and imploding on itself. Uh, regardless, that made things difficult for Willie Taggart, but he never really did follow through on, on some of the character concerns and issues. And again, some of that he was, he was hamstrung by the situation, but at a certain point you need to kind of show your teeth a little bit and, and flex some. And Mike Norvell has done a good job of that, of basically having guys move on if they aren't cultural fits or helping guys, uh, some players realizing maybe this isn't the right place for them and, and helping them re- realize that. So I think that's ultimately a good thing for Florida State. Chris, we've got a chance to talk to a couple of new players so far. Some of the guys who came here as transfers, Mackenzie Milton being the one that I think the FSU fan base like was overrun by uh, almost immediately. I want to get your thoughts on, on talking to all those guys and being present for all those interviews. Uh, kind of what stood out from, from talking to some of these newcomers. Um, I mean, Mackenzie's an impressive dude. You can tell why he's thought of as a high-level leader. He's certainly a kid that's wholeheartedly focused on making his return to the field, and he believes he is physically and mentally prepared to do so. Um, Jermaine Thomas, I liked. I think he used the word grit multiple times. That just got me. You know, it's one of those things I clung on to when he said it. DJ Williams, short and sweet, can't be defined any better than short and sweet by DJ Williams. He just, you know, he got to his point. He said what he had to say. Whoever had to transcribe that interview to that day won the lottery. Jamie Romson, Jamie Romson. Um, he, he's he got a person. It's pronounced Jamie. No, it is not. 
Um, personality definitely shines through with him, though. Like, you can tell he is a dude that enjoys playing football. He enjoys playing versatile, versatility in the secondary. Um, I I just like him. I think he's another guy that kind of brings the attitude you want to have on a defense, which is we're going to get after people. We're going to do things, and I want to be good. I want to be the best at what I do. And he spoke kind of a big game in that sense, but I'd rather that than kind of be sheepish. I also like that while they're former teammates and obviously friends, his quickness to kind of sing the praises of Keir Thomas Pop stood out to me too. I, I think it's always good to have a guy that is comfortable, you know, not talking about him t- himself, but talking about somebody else and talking about him at length like he did. Um, I think that's a very good trait you want to have in a team of guys that kind of praise the other guy across from them. But in general, you know, I, I think an overriding theme was a lot of SEC guys in that group. Obviously, three of the four that we talked to are SEC guys. And it's about bringing a different kind of attitude and just trying to be a better football team, kind of being a tougher football team, one that's going to grind it out a little bit more and be a little more physical and try to get the job done at a better level. And I think that came across with Keir Thomas, Jamie Robson, DJ Williams, and Jermaine Thomas. So actually four of them were SEC guys and then McKenzie. Um, Yeah, that's about it. And Pop, you know, kind of clarified that he expects to play inside and outside, potentially even the Fox role, which I feel like Snow should explain because it's such a fun topic for him these days. Um, I, I'm going to sit back and write about that today and like rewrite about what the Fox position is. Cause I think there's still massive the confusion. <laughs> that was what I was going to do with some kind of headline off of that. Yes. You were, you were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just can't deal. All right. Take us out of here. Yeah, stock market's open. Let's go make some money, Josh. Let's about, do this. What about the Super Bowl? Is Josh going for the home oh. team, or does he believe the Chiefs make it two in a row? Whew, man, what a what a year for for me and these Tampa Bay sports teams, right? Yeah, screw the race. Uh, no, don't. We're not screwing the race. No. I just can't. Like, I want Tampa Bay to win. I just I don't like Tom Brady, and I just can't. why? What don't why? you like about Tom Brady? Um, he's really good looking and it makes me jealous that he's so successful in life and I'm not. He's I'm not, seven I'm not years older than Mahomes' dad, apparently. Mahomes' dad is 50 this year, I think I saw. Jeez. Brady's 43, Mahomes is 25. You gotta love that. Dynamic. It was it was tweeted last night that Tom Brady has participated in 18% of all Super Bowls ever played. <laughs> it's not after this weekend or after this Super Bowl, he will have. I think the Chiefs will win, but I think it could be a really good game. Yeah, I just I, mean, I love that Chiefs offense. I love what Andy Reid does. I love how out of the box he's willing to be. And Andy Reid with a Super Bowl ring is a scary man because he's not really scared of like screwing up and being mm-hmm. hated on for it because he's won at the highest level and obviously took the Eagles there and now Chiefs. So I just I think it's fun to watch. I'm a Dolphin hey. fan, so I'm, I'm fairly <laughs> indifferent. I don't hate Brady. I'm in a family full of Boston people, so I've watched so much Brady in the last 20 years. My eyes bleed. But talking about not being afraid, let's talk about that fourth and one call. Where Tom call? Brady comes back on the field. Bruce Arians calls a timeout with the uh, the kicking team on the field, the punting team on the field. He calls a timeout, trots Tom Brady back out there on fourth and one, and he finds Scotty Miller for a touchdown oh, before the half. Right I mean, that coverage. Oh, good Lord, Green yeah. Bay, what are you doing? King, that's a former first round pick, too. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that was the game. I think that really changed the game right there. So that really 
changed it. To tie it in the FSU, the Bucks have Garrison Sanborn on their practice squad. They added the long snapper a couple weeks ago. He's been with them for, I think, four or five weeks now. John Franklin, FSU also includes him in the former Knowles. Obviously, he had a brief stint at FSU, actually finished at FAU, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. He's with the Bucks, but he's on injured reserve, has been all year. And then, uh, obviously, Derek Naughty's with the Chiefs. And Naughty's the most, you know, pro Noll those those bunch, looking for a second Super Bowl ring here. So if you're an FSU fan that's not an NFL fan, you got plenty of uh, Knowles to watch on on the Super Bowl. I don't think Tom Brady's actually all that good looking. I think he's a little overrated from the. Oh my standpoint. god! I think he's a really good quarterback, Brandon. Yes, I think so. I think he's too. worth every penny. Yeah, yeah, he's he's fantastic, and it's. I believe he's forty two. Like we were watching the game, none of us are. None of us are in his. None of us are in our forties to begin with. But could you imagine, even at our age, like going out there and playing a full football game? Dude, I started jogging again, and it is brutal what it does to me for like three days afterwards. I need to nap every single day after. I am sore. I'm trying to go with a foam roller. And this dude's like almost 50 years taking, old. And- taking hits from Zedarius, uh, you know, what, Smith. just Smith. Yeah, I, I watched him. Tom Brady threw the ball, and Zedarius Smith hit him in the ribs. And me at 38, like I cringed at that hit. You know who's been arguably the best player in the playoffs I've watched though is Chris Jones for KC, the defensive lineman. He messes people up on every damn snap. It's unbelievable to watch how dominant he is at the point of attack. You know, Aaron Donald's obviously arguably the best player in the NFL, but Jones is right there in the sense of just his dominant force, and he's been unbelievable throughout the whole playoffs. And uh, another another player that's really opened my eyes as I watch the Bucs more and more is Devin White. The line, yeah. the middle linebacker out of LSU. I remember when Jimbo was recruiting him. Remember in high school, he was a running back slash yeah. linebacker. And there was some thought that he was going to maybe play running back at Florida State. FSU really loved that big back. Remember, they were trying to get like Jacquez Patrick back then and stuff. So I remember covering Devin White pretty well. He took an official, a late official visit to FSU, didn't he? I can't remember if he definitely took a visit or not, but I know he's yeah. a kid that Jimbo loved. Mm-hmm. I also remember he loves riding horses. <laughs> I just remember that about Devin. I think he actually rode him when he was at LSU too, but he he loves riding horses. Um, it's know. funny. Jordan Whitehead's another guy. Obviously, don't know if he's going to be healthy enough for the Super Bowl, but he's been awesome for the Bucks. Um, that Bucks defense is fun to watch. I, I think it's going to be an excellent Super Bowl. I'm looking forward to it. I've you know, I'm a Dolphins fan. I was crushed when the Bills annihilated us and made sure we weren't mm-hmm. going to playoffs because I really would have liked to get back to the playoffs. Didn't think we were going anywhere in the playoffs, but still would like to be in them. But I've enjoyed watching the NFL playoffs. Yeah. Well, pair, I'm going to have a Super Bowl party. Oh, are we invited? Yeah. You guys going to come? Like, like a new house? On the bench shirt that we have. Oh, we still do need to, to rock those. Yes. I drive by your seat. house regularly, so now I'm looking for you to throw it at you. But you just never put out. it in the mailbox. I don't care. It's a federal offense, but I don't care. All right, Super Bowl party at my house in two weeks. I'm Everybody cooking ribs. Invited, you heard it here on the bench. The Anybody that can the fit door, on the bench. The password at the door is five star review. <laughs> <laughs> should I read? Should I read the most recent five star review? Are we allowed to? No. Okay. Is that the creepy one about you? I mean, the guy's name is 12-inch hammer. <laughs> yeah, read it. What's it say? I love Brendan. If he wasn't married, I would let him have his way with me. Wait, maybe that doesn't matter. Brendan, do I have a chance? Well, 12-inch hammer, if you keep dropping five-star reviews. Oh, man. Maybe. A man can be bought. 
All right, for Chris Nee, Josh Newberg, I'm Brendan Snow. We probably went five minutes too long. Yeah, we're going to go call Nico again, all three of us. <laughs> so and and time. Zach, too. That poor guy has gotten so many texts and calls from the Bulls 24-7 crew. But you know what? Just pick up your phone, Nico, and we won't have any issues. All right, we'll talk to you guys next time. See ya. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.